Today we conclude a series that we began a couple weeks ago called The Waymaker. God is a waymaker. In times when it seems like there's no way out, in times when we normally would throw the word impossible into the mix, we serve a God that has the ability to and routinely makes a way when one is not apparent. In week one, we looked at how God is a miracle worker. Now, many of you listening have made the decision to follow Jesus. And as a result, your life was changed. Your eternity was changed. This marker in your life was a miracle. For some of you, God, God rescued you from a life that you would never think of returning to. For some, you've seen God's hand in so many areas of your life, in your healing, in your finances, in your relationships. And then last week, we talked about how God is a promise keeper. And maybe God has put a dream on your heart. And he's, or maybe he's answering a prayer right now. The problem is we haven't figured out how we want it to play out. But God, who is all-knowing and all-powerful, often has a different plan and a different way of getting to the same destination. One that is full of purpose. Put your trust in him even when it seems like he's not fulfilling his promise or if you feel like he's silent. Because he is the promise keeper. Today, I want to look at God as the light in the darkness. And I don't know about you, but it feels dark. The past week has been an incredibly heavy one. A, a week that needs a guiding light. Have you ever been in a movie theater during a matinee? An afternoon showing? And you go into this dark theater and eventually your eyes start to adjust to, to your surroundings. But after spending two hours in the dark, you walk out the door that leads directly outside in a sunny afternoon, it's in that moment where you're just like, ah, I can't see. It just causes you to squint in pain. Why is that? Well, because light is powerful. Light reveals what darkness hides. So when you step out into the darkness, into the, out of the darkness into the light, you have two options. You can cover your eyes and pretend that it's not there, or you can deal with the pain for a moment, and eventually your eyes will be open to the reality of what's happening around you. It's in the light that the darkness flees. It's in the light that things that used to be hidden by darkness are exposed. I think we have the, all have this understanding about light. But one time Jesus is talking about light. And he says this. He says, you are the light. In Matthew chapter 5, during what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So Jesus is on this hillside by the Sea of Galilee. And all these people have gathered around him to, to hear him speak. And he says, listen, if you follow me, you are the light of the world. And Jesus uses this Greek word here for the word you. He uses this word humus, which means emphatically you. Emphatically you are the light in this dark world. Now, I don't think in the best of times I need to explain how dark this world can get, but in front of the backdrop of this past week, it's been pretty glaring. I, as a side note, I pray that next week you join us. In place of a sermon, Pastor Justin and I are going to sit down with Pastor Chris Chase to have an honest and open conversation about racism, faith, culture, and the church. So back to, back to light and darkness. When you see darkness, you start to wonder, what can I do? Well, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. 
Jesus could have said, you and the government of Canada are the light of the world, or you and social programs, or you and social justice initiatives, but he doesn't say that. He says, you are the light of the world. And what's interesting is that the word for light is the Greek word phos, which is it's spelled P-H-O-S. This is the root word for the English word photography, or photograph, or a picture. And Jesus comes out and says, you need to understand, if you're a follower of mine, you are a photo, a, a picture of me to a dark world. So let me ask you this. If you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, what is the photo? What is the image of Jesus that people are seeing in your life? What parallels would they draw between you and Jesus? Or how about this? If your neighbor doesn't know Jesus, but you claim to follow him, you claim to be someone who puts your trust and hope in him, what conclusions do they draw from watching you or seeing the picture that you portray? When people speak to you, when people speak to you uh, about this pandemic, do you give this portrait of fear and pessimism or disregard? Or do people see grace and compassion and assurance? Are you fighting with people on Facebook to prove that your point is right? Are you sending emails to everyone to warning them of doom and gloom? What conclusions about Jesus would people draw from your life if you are the photo that they see? Would people say that you drive like Jesus, raging at the person who just cut you off? Would they say that you treat your spouse like Jesus would, parent like Jesus would? Is Jesus reflected in the way that you treat your co-workers or the gas attendant? Or the barista. Because Jesus says that you are the foss, the picture of him to the world. You, emphatically, you are the light of the world. But then if we jump over to John chapter 8, verse 12, we read this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so... So which is it? I mean, Jesus, you said, I am the light of the world. But then you go and say, you are the light of the world. So which is it? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, as a follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to be the light of the world. But Jesus is the light of the world. Let me explain it this way. You ever been out at night and you see the moon when it's at its fullest? You know when you get like a full, full moon, it's so bright. A full moon on a dark night projects so much light. But we know that the moon itself doesn't produce light. It's a reflection of the sun. Now, when does the, when does the moon not reflect light? Yeah, that's right, during an eclipse. Because when the world gets between the sun and the moon, the moon reflects nothing. I wonder how many of us have allowed a spiritual eclipse, where we let the things of this world get between us and the light of the world. And instead of reflecting the light into darkness, when people look at us, they see nothing but more darkness. See, I believe that you and I were created to be the false of Jesus, the reflection of his light. And if he's the light of the world, as, as a, a selection of the sun, we are also the light of the world. Now, to understand what I mean, when we say that, we are the, that the world can come between us and the sun... I want to take a look at a parable that Jesus taught that we often refer to as the parable of the sower. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching some people. 
and he tells them this story of a man who scattered some seed. And some of the seed he scattered, he scattered kind of on the road where there was nothing for it to take hold of. And the birds came and they ate it all up. And some of the seed he put down on dry, rocky ground where it grew kind of quick, but it burnt up quick. And the roots, because the roots just couldn't take hold. And some of the seed he placed among thorns, which were destroyed and got choked out by everything around it. And, and anything that came up just couldn't survive. And then the rest he put in good soil. And those that went into good soil did very, very well. So when he talks about the seed placed among the thorns, this helps us understand what a life that has allowed the world to spiritually eclipse us looks like. He says this in Mark chapter 4, verse 19. He says, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus gives three examples of a life that is given over to darkness. Number one, we give in to the worries of this life. Now here's a personal question that you need to be able to answer. When it comes to worry, fear, and anxiety, is there any diff anything different about your life than someone who doesn't put their trust in Jesus? Because someone who has, is seen as a light of the world should look different than others. Why? Because... Well, you have something to turn to, or you have someone to turn to and cast your worries on. And that's not to downplay your situation, because we all have times where worry creeps in, or fear kind of just grabs us for a moment. But if you are a reflection of Jesus, you don't allow it to dominate. You don't, allow, you don't base your decisions on worry. And when you allow fear and worry to dominate, you hand the steering wheel of life over to yourself instead of God. Whose voice matters most to you in your life? I pray that it's God's. I pray that when fear and anxiety come, that you can give it to God. Just let him take it. The second characteristic of a life that is given to darkness is this. The deceitfulness of wealth. Now, don't get this wrong. God never said that having money was the issue. The issue is when money has you. We buy into this life that if we just have more, our problems will be gone. Study was done a few years ago, and they asked people, how much is rich? And the short answer was just more. More than I have. If someone had an income of $30,000 a year, $75,000 a year was rich. To a person who made $75,000 a year, they didn't consider themselves rich because they didn't make six figures. For those that were making six figures, well, they weren't rich because they weren't millionaires. And the millionaires... Well, they had their eyes on the billionaires. And the reason we never seem satisfied by what we have is because money can fill our lives with temporary pleasures, but it cannot fill the gap that we have in our soul. A life that is spent chasing the almighty dollar sign will always come up void. Money has this way of deceiving us in what's important and where we put our trust. The third thing is this. The desire for others. Now this one seems like Jesus was a little bit unfocused. And he said, don't give in to worry, don't chase money, and don't go after other stuff. What does that mean? Well, what he's saying here is, you can be weighed down when you desire anything that puts God second in your life. It's when your prayer life gets pushed aside in favor of your busy schedule. It's when sleeping in is more important than a few minutes with God to start your day. 
It's when church just doesn't become a priority anymore. It's when you choose to be more generous with your finances to your hobbies than your God. And the weird part is this. The stuff that we choose sometimes above God is good stuff. That's what makes it confusing. Because we all need rest. Extra time on a Sunday with our family isn't a bad thing. Hobbies are good for our mental state, but not when it comes at the expense of our relationship with God. We've treated our faith at times as optional. We've treated church as optional. Parents, let me speak to you for a moment. When you treat church as optional, and trust me, your kids pick up on this, but when you treat church as optional, they get the message that Jesus is optional. I used to watch this play out as a youth pastor and have a parent come to me and they were kind of confused why their 16-year-old doesn't see any value in church and it has kind of gone off the rails. But in their most crucial years of development, we only saw their family once every couple months and only when it rained and their outdoor plans were canceled. And now they are confused that their teenager doesn't value Jesus or value the things that Jesus teaches. Don't let other things, even if they're good, get in the way of things of God that are actually great. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now back when I was in college, I took a photography course. And you might be thinking, you took photography in Bible college? Actually, no. Because coming out of high school, I got a two-year diploma in journalism. And one of the classes, for obvious reasons, was photography. Now this was right around the time where there was a transition from film photography to digital photography. But in year one, I had to learn to develop my own film. So after taking the 24 pictures that were on the roll, you would then go to the dark room and develop your film. And when you see a dark room on TV or movies, there's, you can still see, there's enough muted light to see your way around. But before any of that happens, you enter a room completely void of any light to take the film out and put, the can, put it into a canister that eventually you're gonna add a chemical solution to that will help it develop. But inside this initial room, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. When you're taking out your film, any light in the room at all will destroy your negatives. Have you ever been on social media lately? There are a lot of negatives. If you listen to the news, watch the news, talk to any of your friends on the phone, they're, they're just, there's a lot of negatives. But if Jesus truly is the light of the world, and we are the picture, the photo, the foss of Jesus, we need to be a catalyst in destroying the negatives. The negative stereotypes, the negative comments, the negative actions of our society. We need to expose them to the light. One time I was in the darkness taking out my film. Pictures I had captured of a basketball game. And someone opened the door to come in. Maybe I forgot to put up the occupied sign or they didn't see it. But I yelled out quickly and they closed the door fast. But for a moment, the light had entered the room and parts of my negatives were ruined. That's the impact that you can have with just a little bit of light. You can ruin the negative things of this world with just a little bit of light shining into the darkness. Imagine what a whole lot of light could do. Let's pray. God, I thank you that in the middle of this darkness, in the middle of this time that we're in right now in history, God, I, I, I thank you that you are moving behind the scenes. I'm, I thank you that we are seeing your people stand at times and lead the way. I, I'm 
I pray, God, that the light will overcome the darkness, that, that we will be a reflection of you. And if there's enough of us reflecting you, God, the darkness doesn't stand a chance. So, God, I, I, you are the way maker. You're the, you're the miracle worker. You're the promise keeper. You are the light in the darkness. And so, God, I pray for those that are out there this morning and maybe they're feeling a little overwhelmed this week or maybe just overcome with heaviness and sadness, God. I pray that you would just remind them that the answer to all that darkness is actually them. You created them to be the light. You created them to be the hope of the world. And then when then we reflect you, and we don't allow the world to come between us, when we reflect the sun, darkness has no other option but to run. Amen.